Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. While you're turning there, I hope you've uh, seen the theme today of uh, where we're headed. Uh, And while the theme is not about children, the very things that, that we are talking about today, if we can equip our children and ourselves in terms of grasping the beauty of the providence of God, they will be well equipped. Uh, a moment ago, we sang, God moves in a mysterious way. And, uh, you know, frankly, on any hymn, if you're not careful, you can, you can zone out and not pay attention to words that you're singing. I hope you don't do that. Look hard at them. We've chosen these for a reason. This was written by William Cooper, who struggled all of his life even after becoming a Christian, he struggled with deep depression. Sometimes he couldn't even function. And yet out of that, he still sought his God. One of the the phrases that he uses, behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. Sadly, there are many times in his life where all he could see was the frowning providence, the circumstance of what what he was going through. And yet he knew by faith, not because he could see it, he knew by faith that behind that was the smiling face of his father, who was doing what was best for him. We have been looking at uh, the, uh, the Scripture underpinnings of the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. Now, if you're visiting with us, uh, we focus on the Scripture here. And uh, our, the official uh, standards we have are the Westminster Confession of Faith, and yet... The Heidelberg Catechism is a wonderful and warm statement of uh, theology uh, that is melded together with application. And so we're in the third week of this, and the first week, it's answering the question, and that's what a catechism is. It's a, a question with an answer. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? the question of the ages. What is my only comfort in life and, and then beyond? And the first week we saw that I am not my own and why that ought to be a comfort. Last week we looked at uh, the phrase, He has fully paid for all <coughs> my sins with His precious blood. And why that, because He owns us, He bought us, why that should be a comfort to us. And today... We look at the application in our lives. He, preserved, he also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Let's look at the Scripture where that 
came from in John chapter 6. We read this. Jesus said to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. So, Lord, whatever we are facing, will you help us to focus upon you? Whether we are rejoicing or weeping in a great time of joy or in real distress, will you help us to see what our only comfort in life and death is? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday was uh, the 10th anniversary of when Hurricane Katrina roared through New Orleans. Maybe you remember that time. In a few days, it's going to be the 14th anniversary of the attack on our country we call 9-11. For most of us who were big enough to remember, I'm one of those, I was big enough to remember at those, in those dates, uh, those are vivid times, particularly the 9-11. When it happened, there was something that was in the news not very long after that, and it was all over the place, and that was the case with Katrina, and it was the case with 9-11, and that is the big question, okay, what do we do in the future if this kind of a disaster hits again? When they hit, to a great degree, we realized we weren't prepared, and so all we could do was respond. And so almost immediately, there was the question, is there some way that we can prepare the next time something like that rocks our world? Whether it's our country, our city, or our personal life. Now let me break this down a little bit. There are situations that will rock our world that we, we can prevent. And we should try to prevent them. 
like attacks on our country, things like preventative health care, those kinds of things. We are not showing a, a lack of faith in any way if we prepare and try to avoid those kinds of things. But then there are also situations that will rock our world that we cannot prevent. And we have to prepare ourselves for them as well. Whether it's our our country or our personal life, there is a common preparation. And I would submit to you that this catechism answer before us, and particularly the part we're looking at today, is a part of that preparation. If we can really understand that, if we can really grasp it and really believe it, not waiting until uh, those things hit us, but deciding today, this I believe, we will be more ready when those things hit us, but also to face the challenges of everyday life. So let's take a look at the principles that uh, the writer of this catechism put together from God's Word. The first thing is, very simply, the Father preserves His people. He said in, or they said in the catechism, He also preserves me in such a way. And then he based it upon uh, John 6 that I just read to you. This is the will of Him, verse 39, who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. See that preservation. But raise it up in the last day. This is verse 40. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. Remember that the first week in this series, we talked about how we are not our own, but we belong to to Christ, body and soul, both in life and death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at what that faithful Savior did, that he did everything that was necessary for our salvation. And so therefore, that's where our security is. That's why there there is a comfort there. Because there is nothing that we could add to that or should even attempt to add to that because what He did was sufficient. When we belong to Him, we will not be lost. He said that later in John as well. John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish There's the preservation. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, next week we're going to look into the last phrase of uh, this catechism question, and that's where uh, it, it talks about our assurance of salvation. How do we know we're saved and And how firm is that? Is that something that we can lose? And of course, 
The catechism says, no, no way. And the catechism is based upon the Word of God. And so we're going to look at, uh, we'll revisit this verse next week in this passage. But the reason we're even considering this is it has to do with His providence, His being in control of all things. And His control is not just arbitrary. Not just because he, He's some kind of a cosmic control freak. There is a reason for it. If we're safe, we are only safe because of His hand that is in control. And that's what this says. We're safe from the enemy. Now, how can we be so sure of that? Well, the Bible tells us, secondly, the Father's in control even of the details. This is how the Heidelberg Catechism answer says, that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Where in the world does that concept come from? That without His, his knowledge and His control, not a hair can fall from my head. Oh, I don't know. Maybe because Jesus said that. Listen. In Matthew 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. See, where's my only comfort? Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than sparrows. Luke chapter 21, verse 16. Listen to what to those he was speaking to would happen. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Doesn't sound like very good care, does it? Some of you are going to die. Some of you will be delivered up. You're, you're, you who I'm speaking to, you're going to suffer. But then he says this, but not a hair of your head will perish. How does he connect those two? So the idea of the hairs on our head being numbered and not perishing doesn't and cannot mean that we will never face trials. We will. He promises that. But what he says is, when you do, you will not perish. And perishing isn't talking about even promising that we won't die because we will. But what he's saying is you will be protected in the biggest sense of this word and that is that your soul cannot be touched. You're safe even in the middle of all of this. Now suppose that the hurricane that is out there, I, I didn't see where it is today. That's, uh, I think it's fizzling out, but 
the hurricane that's out there in the ocean. What if it hit land and there was a loss of property and life or a tsunami or an earthquake or another 9-11? Every time a disaster like any of those hits, then there is some well-meaning pastor or theologian that will either be interviewed or write a letter to the newspaper and they will try to get God off the hook. Because they know that when those kinds of things happen, that people are saying, well, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like God if this is what, what He's about. Kind of the classical philosophical perspective on that kind of thing has been, if God is omnipotent, in other words, if He's all-powerful and disasters like this happen, then He must not be loving. Or, if God is loving and disasters like this happen, then He must not be omnipotent because He's not doing anything about it. Now, that's a false dichotomy. It's not one or the other of those two things. In our day, those things are expressed by uh, people as varied as uh, uh, Rabbi Kushner, who uh, wrote a long time ago, when bad things happen to good people. And he basically... Uh, you know, said, well, it's, it's not God's fault. Those things, things happen. But God's there after it happens. To people who are in uh, what some are calling open theism or that kind of a view where God is, uh, he's kind of watching what's going on in the world, but he's just kind of a responder. He's, he's not really in control of things. Now, here's the problem. At first, that makes some people feel better. Saying, well, okay, God's off the hook. He's not in control. At least we can rest easy in that. So we don't need to be angry at God or question Him. But I want to say right up front that if you give up on God's sovereignty at the front end of disasters, then His sovereignty won't be there in the middle of the disaster or at the end of the disaster. We cannot give up on God being in control. Here's the thing. Would you desire to have a God who hears your prayers but can't do anything about answering them? Can only empathize with you? You know, he, he kind of wrings his hands and says, oh yeah, it's tough, I know. Sorry you're going through that. See, that's the God that's not in control. Or would you prefer a God who hears your prayers, always responds, and always responds in the way that is best for you because He's in control of the situation and He was in control of the situation even before you prayed? I cannot imagine someone choosing that first picture of God. 
of being unable. It takes any incentive to pray out of our lives. But here's what we need to understand about his control. His control is for a reason. If you're following the outline, that's the third aspect. And the reason is our salvation and our sanctification. This catechism says, indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. And the Scripture itself, Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Here's the point. God saves from the very beginning to the very end. And He does everything that is necessary in between to save His children. There is nothing left to chance. His goal of preservation will take place. Now, closely related to the salvation is our sanctification. Now, sanctification is our growing in Christ. Once we are in Christ, growing to be more and more like Jesus. Let me read to you from James chapter 1. By the way, we're starting this Wednesday a study in James. It's a, it's a magnificent book. I hope you will be here to study James. And this is how it begins in James, the first chapter, the second verse. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, here's, here's the way I like to take that passage and I like to say it to people, and, and I've, I've said this to dozens of you to the point where sometimes people say it back to me. I love that. Everything and everyone in your life is there to make you more like Jesus. Now think about that. Everything and everyone in your life is in order to make you more like Jesus. So that means your spouse, not just when things are good, he or she is there to make you more like Jesus. Your child or children, your boss, your co-workers, for you students, even the bully. Now, we can't always see how this is going to make me more like Jesus. But we must be confident that if He's in control, those people in these circumstances don't have to be in my life. If He wants me to be more like Jesus, and He does, then everyone in my life and everything that I am facing is there to make me more like Jesus somehow. And sometimes we have to say, I don't know how, 
but I'm willing to trust that my Father, who knows way more than me, does know how. There's something we should ask. Matthew Henry, who is a Bible commentator, said when people go through trials, they often ask for strength to get through them. That's a good thing. But seldom ask God what he wants us to learn. That's the hard part. C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain writes, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So it should be, Lord, help me through this. Give me grace. Give me strength to get through this. But as you do, what are you saying to me? And it doesn't mean he's saying something hard or bad. He's saying something that is for your benefit. If we have any doubt as to whether all things work together for the good of those who love God, if we have any doubt as to whether suffering can be used to accomplish God's purposes, all we have to do is look at the cross. And we see that the ultimate purpose of salvation was accomplished by the Father through the suffering of His Son. In all this, we can know that God is absolutely sovereign. I've said it in a lot of different ways. If we give up on God being sovereign before and during the difficult times, then He won't be sovereign after the storm hits. If we strip God of that sovereignty, then don't bother praying. He's got nothing He can do unless He's sovereign. So where was God in my trial during my difficult times? Where was God in my loss? He was the same place He was the day before you heard you have that disease. The day before your loss. The day before your trial began, He was on the throne because the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And he remains on the throne. That's our only hope. That this world, this universe, and our lives are not out of control, but under the sovereign and loving and merciful hand of our gracious God who will not let a hair on your head perish. After my heart attack in 2005, I came across this next quote. And I've shared it with you before in the context of worship, and I've shared it with some of you individually. It's from Jim Elliott's journal. Now, Jim Elliott was uh, a man who, with his wife and a few other couples, went to minister to the Alka Indians. Uh, they, they were an unreached people. And uh, it was early on in their contact with them that he and others were murdered. Their lives were taken. 
ultimately it was because of that that later on God used their witness with those very same people who now many, many in, in those tribes are trusting in Christ for their eternal life. But sometime before that, he wrote this in his journal. I read Job 12.10 again, which is, In his hand is the life of every living thing. I recognize that all I am and have is the Almighty's. He could, in one instant, change the whole course of my life with accident, tragedy, or any event unforeseen. And then he goes on to say, Job is a lesson in acceptance, not a blind resignation, but believing acceptance that what God does is well done. Now this is the part that every morning since my heart attack I have, I have prayed using his words. So Father... With happy committal, I give you my life again this morning. Not for anything special, simply to let you know that I regard it as yours. Do with it as it pleases you. Only give me great grace to do for the glory of Christ Jesus whatever comes to me in sickness or in health. May God grant us his comfort in knowing that God is in control. That today, if you're a child of the living God, nothing will happen to you that is not inside of his gracious providential plan that he has lovingly laid out for you as his child. May that be our comfort. Let's bow together. It's always easier said than lived. But Lord, will you help us to believe that and then when that storm, when the tsunami or the earthquake or the attack or whatever it is comes, Will you help us to know this, I believe, what our Father does is well done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.